0: Hello and welcome back to Audience, the podcast where you follow us as we build a podcast from scratch. Here we're really on a quest to find the best tactics and strategies to grow a podcast audience literally from zero to tens of thousands of listeners each episode. Today I'm joined by fellow podcaster Srini Rao from the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. I really like the conversation I had with Srini here because he talks about a lot of his kind of reason for creating content and the way that he creates it, and a lot of the the motivation behind the the style he has with his content, and where that's kind of driving his brand. I let Shreedi talk a lot more about this in the episode, but wanted to continue this thread of what constitutes really good content. Uh, and our second interview here in the audience podcast, because I think this is a real key driver of the organic growth side of your podcast. Uh, we'll experiment with a lot of different marketing tactics, paid and organic, but I think creating really good content is the cornerstone of a lot of what makes our content shareable and, and kind of go viral. So here to share more about kind of how he creates this kind of viral content that his audience obviously loves is Shreddy Rao. Would you mind kind of sharing with
1: folks who aren't familiar with you and your and your show kind of what you guys are all about? Yeah. I think that – you know. so it's funny because Simon Sinek once told me that my why is that I am obsessed with people who are good at unusual things. And I think that if you look at the guests on Unmistakable Creative, that's a pretty clear reflection of that. I mean our guests have ranged from bank robbers to drug dealers to billionaires. You know, all sort of with this theme of, you know, unmistakable or or something that they're you know, makes them very distinctive and interesting and and fascinating. And I think the whole idea of creative is one of those things that I think we gave a very sort of broad definition to the word creative. And and we did that on purpose, because we wanted to make sure that, you know, our focus was interesting people. And I think that the problem is, you know, nowadays, you see a lot of like early podcasters, like, Oh, I want to get these like famous internet celebrities on my podcast, because they're going to make me like grow and, you know, be really successful, but they don't. That's, that's far the furthest thing from the truth. I know this only because that was my thought process when we first started. And, you know, I, I got a, a rude awakening pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be the case. But yeah. So we ended up basically starting in 2009 as this podcast for bloggers and it kind of evolved. And, you know, today we have, you know, we've had, a, I think more than 700 guests. I, I think the best summary of what we do is what some, one of our listeners said, they said, if Ted Talks meant Oprah, you'd have the unmistakable creative, which is like as flattering as it gets in terms of a compliment. But, you know, it was yeah. one of those things where we're like, yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, you couldn't, you you know it, and it makes sense in a lot of ways uh, just based on the nature of the content and
0: and it sounds like this was kind of an organic growth of like what originally was podcast.fm and then into the unmistakable creative was that kind of an intentional evolution on
1: your perspective well, or on your end or was that something that was kind of grew No, it got more intentional as time went on. I think it was one of those things where the more time we spent like the more it became clear because I think that people have this idea when you start something you're going to know exactly, you know, how it's all going to go. You're going to have this like plan and I mean life doesn't go according to plan. So It was, you know, largely accidental and organic, but I think what happened was with that sort of organic growth, we started to become a lot more intentional about how, you know, how things were going. Do you think that's a reasonable thing for
0: other people who are just starting out to, to kind of follow that playbook to say like, kind of, follow your heart create something that that you like and then once it gets some traction you can figure out I'll say what to do with it from there like how to how to make it a business how to make it a real brand after it's kind of successful
1: here's the thing right I think that if you go into it with this idea of oh I'm going to create something that is you know based on what I think will get a lot of downloads or what I think will be popular you're gonna make decisions based entirely on numbers right from the start now is that gonna work it might I mean I I don't I don't subscribe to that philosophy it's never for me. I mean, I wrote an entire book about why that's a terrible idea. I think that if you go and look at the earliest creators, you know, or the not even podcasters, but generally, like some of the most successful creators in the world, hell, Oprah, right? One of the things that Oprah did was she refused to compromise on her values when, you know, Donahue and some of these sort of crazy people were going up in the ratings. And she could have basically produced trash television. And instead, she decided to stick to her guns. And I think the results speak for themselves. I mean, she took a hit in the ratings in the short term. And so I think that that, that's kind of one of the the things, you know, in the world we live in today, people don't have hobbies. Every hobby is a side hustle, you know. And so when, you know, you turn your hobby into a job, it kind of defeats the purpose of your hobby. And that's kind of a sad thing. So it's hard to say. I, I don't know that I have prescriptive advice for somebody who wants to start a podcast. I think that prescriptive advice is, is dangerous because the, the problem with all prescriptive advice is that it's formulaic. And the other problem with anything formulaic is there's one variable that throws off every formula for success, and that's the person who's applying the formula. So that's that's something to think about. So I think that you have to kind of go towards what you're naturally interested in because it, there's going to be a period of time in which you're not going to see any traction and you're not going to see any results. So if like you're only doing this thing for some sort of external result, you're going to have a hard time staying motivated when you're not getting that result. Mm. The
0: dip, right? So I know you've had Seth Godin on yeah. your podcast before. That's what kind of comes to mind when you talk about this time where you're you're creating what you want for your own sake, and it might not be kind of resonating with your audience yet. And, and the, the stick to to stay with that path, to see it through to the other side of this dip is is kind of where the people end up winning, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody, everybody starts with zero listeners. Every writer starts with zero readers. Every company starts with zero customers. You know this from starting a company. So I think that, you know, this sort of idea of I'm going to be, you know, famous or like some, you know, I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan. I'm going to plug a microphone into a laptop and all that's, you know, I don't think people see everything that comes before like these moments in the spotlight.
0: So your book, An Audience of One, Reclaiming Creativity for Its Own Sake, is just over a year old. uh, So August of last year, 2018. How did the book come about and kind of how is it? Playing off what you're doing with the podcast,
1: so you know the book and the podcast are kind of birds of a feather. You know, I, the book came about because I got a two book deal with Penguin, and one of the you know books was about this idea of writing a thousand words a day. And you know, we started to look at it, and it just started to evolve more and more into a book about not just you know writing, but a book about creativity in general. And so, as a result, you end up with sort of this idea of, of the value of creativity for its own sake. So we're we're in this interesting world where you can go from idea to execution at, r- at record pace. The thing that that brings also, though, is is unrealistic expectations and impatience. So people think, oh, you know, I can start a podcast tomorrow. I can have everything up and running. I plug a microphone in, and by the end of the week, I'm going to have a million people listening to what I do. But <laughs> that does not that's not how this works. And so, you know, the idea behind that book was really, hey, you know, if you start with yourself, and it's kind of echoing what we just said, you know, we were talking about, you know, how should people start? But basically, you know, a lot of my ideas are often informed by my, my guests, you know, a lot of my thought process, a lot of my writing is inspired by the people that I interview. In fact, so much so that I'm right now in the process of pitching a new book proposal, you know, for a new idea that is as insane as a, you know, but friends seem to have really kind of strike when I've told it to people, they get a good sort of they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds hilarious and amazing and end entertaining. So, you know, the new book idea is called This Might Not Work, What I've Learned from Field Testing the Life Advice from 700 Insanely Interesting People, as opposed to a book about sort yeah. of, you know, because if you look at most books in this genre, right, what they focus on is, is you know, distilling information. None of these books are about implementation or experimentation. You know, they're all prescriptive, saying, hey, you know, unlike, so the idea was not to give a prescriptive self-help book, but to write an experimental self-help book based on all these ideas. And, you know, when you're sort of people that you're field testing advice from is bank robbers and drug dealers in the world world's, you know, the New York's highest paid dominatrix, that leads to some potentially interesting ways to field test, you know, what they've said.
0: Do you feel like getting too much input on like the creative process or being around too many creative people is a hindrance to, to you actually being creative and coming up with unique perspectives and ideas on things?
1: So, no, not necessarily. This is the way I always describe it, right? Is you basically take different ingredients from different people and come up with your own recipes. The problem is that most people look at something that works and they're like, oh, well, you know, X person did this. So, you know, for example, this is a, this is an example that, you know, we can use for the podcast world. It's like John Lee Dumas ended up starting, you know, Entrepreneur on Fires, like, oh, it's a daily show. And, you know, within a matter of months, he's crushing it, making a ton of money. And suddenly you see all of these sort of copycat shows pop up, you know, all of which trying to do the exact same thing, following the format and, you know, sounding exactly the same. I I think that there is this sort of, you know, idea that, oh, I'm just going to follow this person. Like, so here's what I think is that if, If you, you know, imitation, you know, they say is the highest form of flattery, but only in the short run. In the long run, it's just laziness. Yeah, you want to learn from somebody else. But and the other thing is you live, we're in a world full of noise. You do that, you're going to get washed up in, you know, sort of a sea of sameness. And that's the thing, like I pull different ideas from different people. So I think that it's really about mixing all of them. So no, I I don't think that being exposed to so many ideas actually prevents my creativity. In fact, I, I think back to the analogy that Robert Green once gave me. He said, you know, the analogy is biodiversity. The more species you have in an ecosystem, the richer that ecosystem. So like, you know, if you think of my brain as the ecosystem and the people that I talk to as the species, then, you know, the more creative it makes me.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, I I, I like to think about taking advice from a lot of different people and getting a bunch of different perspectives. And then you have to frame it in the lens that those people are coming from and mm-hmm. their experiences and the things that, that they've done well and the troubles they've had. And you take all of that with a bit of a grain of salt and know where someone is coming from to say like, okay, you know, this advice they gave me or this thing they said makes sense for them in that in their context, mm-hmm. but might not be kind of universally applicable. You mentioned uh, John Lee Dumas and there's several other people kind of in the online marketing world that do kind of similar things. And I think a lot of podcasters start out with something like that in mind. Yeah, You know, hey, I can, yeah, like you said, plug the mic into the computer, publish it on, you know, iTunes, whatever, Apple podcast, and get a bunch of you know, downloads and sponsors the next month. Do you think that's why, like going into it with that mindset, do you think that's why people fail at podcasting at such a high rate? Or is there kind of something else to kind of why that doesn't, more people aren't successful with that kind of mindset?
1: Okay. So there are a couple of things here. I mean, this is a, a, like a very layered question, which, you know, we could do an entire hour on just this question. So the thing that, that you have to realize is, is like, go look at stuff that started a year, year and a half ago, right? When everybody was like gung ho. You'll see the feeds haven't been updated. Months. I only know because I have you know podcasts that I've been on where that was the case, or podcasts where you know friends had said that they want to. Even in my book launch, I had friends who had big audiences who were like you know on hiatus from their podcast, and you know many of them were like oh this is the last episode ever, and so uh, that's one thing right is attrition. It, it, that's an inevitable sort of byproduct. The, the other thing is consistency. So this is the example I always think of when you know or I always kind of refer back to is is you want your content to be a habit, not an interruption. So like you know think about it this way right for whatever, 13 years or however long it was on the air, every Friday night or every Thursday night, we all got in front of our TV and we knew that NBC was going to have friends on the air. Now, let's say that, you know, that writers of friends said, you know, like we're going to only write episodes when we feel like it. Well, they would have never built an audience because how could an audience know that, hey, you know, every Thursday night, this thing comes out. Now, how do you turn that into a habit? You'd produce consistently for years on end. I don't think that people really want to do the actual work of mastery, right? Because this is one of the things I said, I wrote this on Facebook the other day, which seemed to have really struck a chord with people. I said that, you know, don't build a personal brand, develop rare and valuable skills. And if you go and look sort of at the NPRs, right? Like you look at the Shankar Vedantams of the world, or you look at Ira Glass, or you look at Alex Blumberg, you look at Sarah Koenig, all that stuff was like years and years and years and years in the making of people working in public radio, getting really good at what they did, learning, from people who are better than them. And then basically launching, you know, this stuff like, you know, if you listen to the most recent episode of How I Built This, it's out. It's with Alex Blumberg talking about his first job working at This American Life for Iron Glass, where he was just like a a intern or lackey or something like he didn't really do anything glamorous. He wasn't Alex Blumberg. And, you know, there's a lot of grunt work. I've always thought that early podcasters should edit their own episodes. I think it's a terrible idea for people to outsource their editing when they're starting out. And the reason I I believe that is because I think that editing my own episodes was one of those things that made me a substantially better interviewer, because it forced me to go back and listen to every single thing I did multiple times. And I just kind of understood. The other thing is like, if you don't understand how something is put together, it makes no sense for you to outsource it. It, You know, and the reality is that you can't succeed in a noisy ecosystem by creating something that sounds the same as everything else. That's, that's, you know, sort of hard. And so those are the things that I I think about, right? So I I think the reason reason people fail is there are numerous reasons, but I think one of the big ones is that they're focused on metrics instead of mastery.
0: Well, that's a big one. Yeah, I I, I can relate. I mean, as someone who runs a a hosting and analytics platform, I think analytics is something that we have – a lot of people are are interested in, for sure. And the people who are the most interested in it have – Thirty downloads an episode, which is really interesting because those are the people that should just be out there doing more
1: of it. <laughs> exactly. So this is the paradox, right? I mean, I don't think I, ever, I very rarely look at my analytics on your website. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm busy producing content. It's this whole stupid idea that refreshing your analytics is going to make them go up. It's like, no, what makes your, you know, analytics go up is creating something worth listening to. But that's a lot harder.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that, that that that's an even, I mean, like you said, this is a whole nother kind of discussion. But I mean, for folks who are are really just starting out, I I think that one of the really intimidating things about creating any kind of content and, and podcasting maybe in particular, because there's a limited amount of feedback you can get or limited ways that you can get feedback from podcasting. Cause mm-hmm. like we talk and people listen yeah. and there's not like this discussion. It's not a Facebook group or something like that. Yeah. W- what are, what are some things you might recommend to people who are just starting out to say like, okay, stick with your guns, create the content you want. And like the, the people will come in the end. That's kind of what I'm, I'm getting from you is like, if, if the content is that good, it will all work out in the end. Um, Is there any more kind of like
1: specifics you would guide people to on that? Okay. So there are a lot of things that I think would be insane for me to tell you to reverse engineer because there are a lot of factors here that nobody wants to admit play a role. Like luck played a role in in me getting to this point. Like I started in 2009. Like unless I – you know, this is one of the reasons I'm like reluctant to teach a podcasting course because what am I going to say? Hey – You know, get yourself a DeLorean, go back in time and start in 2009. Like, that's not feasible. (laughs) You know, it's it's like, okay, I can't help you reverse engineer that. Or, hey, hope that Glenn Beck finds your book on Amazon when he's, you know, bruising it one day. Like, these are all sort of weird inflection points. And so, for me, like, the only parts of this that I can actually reverse engineer – are the process parts? So, as far as feedback goes, you know this is a complicated one. You because you're right. Like, how do you get feedback when you have nobody listening? I was really lucky in that I got some positive reinforcement early on from a very small group of people. It's yeah, I think of, of you know Chris Gillibo had this sort of idea of what he called the small army strategy. I even wrote a book about this called the small army strategy, which I think is more relevant today now when you're competing for so much attention than it was when I wrote this book. So the idea was that you know if you have five people in your audience, you treat them like the most important person people in the world because they are. Like they're the ones who are choosing to listen to you, you know, then, you know, and with the podcast, you may not have their email addresses, whatever it is. So you go and you ask friends, you ask family, you ask anybody who will give you feedback to listen. You know, I mean, it's that joke of, hey, you know, your first reader on your blog is your mom. And, you know, it's funny. I think my mom to this day still reads my stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, your earliest readers are anybody who will talk to you. So so the, I think that the idea that this is another one of those things, right, is you don't start building an audience by interrupting strangers on the Internet. Like, that's not how an audience gets built. My earliest sort of blog readers were my family members, people that went to Pepperdine, some classmates of mine from Berkeley, my study abroad coordinator from Pepperdine, and that's it. Like five or six people who used to read this stuff. There's a guy who hired me to be, he was my first freelance client, he hired me for 50 bucks to come in and teach him a few things I knew about public speaking and social media, which I didn't know much at that point. So I think it's, you know, what I would say is, okay, if you do have anybody there, treat them like the most important people in the world and then go out and actively seek feedback. I mean, one of the big pieces of feedback that led me to start the podcast was from my friend who said, he's like, you're a much better interviewer than you are a writer. And I think you'd be more successful if you actually took this interview series and spun it out into a separate site. So, you know, I think that there's that whole thing, right? It's, I wish I could tell you that there's like some sort of formula. And the thing is the formula is super seductive and there are tons of people who will sell it. Just go look at the sales pages for any podcasting course. It's like, here's my you know, six step formula and how I'm going to tell you how to set this up, you know, and of course, the person, this is one of those things that I, I think is something people need to consider, right? There's these all these people sort of saying, oh, everybody should start a podcast. Well, yeah, okay. If somebody who has a course on podcasts is saying everybody should start a podcast, then maybe you should consider context there. It's kind of like those right. people who say, oh, everybody should be on this app. And it's like, well, of course, you think everybody should be on the app, you have a massive equity stake in that company. you know. So I, I think that's important to consider yeah. those kinds of Things and and if anybody is looking for a shortcut, then they shouldn't start at all. That's my advice. Let's just sum it up pretty simply: there are no shortcuts to this.
0: You guys crossed a, a pretty big uh, chasm recently uh, to to receive some funding for your podcast, talking yeah. about like ways, different ways that people can monetize their podcast, you know, sponsorships or whatever. You guys received some funding from PodFund uh-huh. to just create more awesome content, right?
1: Well, I mean, not not just to create more awesome content, you know, and this is one of those things that I think that people, I remember the day that PodFund announced the fund because I was watching, you know, what was happening in the Facebook group for podcasters and the conversations were kind of insane because people were just talking about what they would do with the money. And the problem is with that, it's like, oh, well, if you don't know what you would do with the money, nobody's going to invest money in you. You know, like I'd been really lucky in that I interviewed a lot of venture capitalists. I also, I mean, we, we ran it as a business and, you know, it had its challenges We've and running it as a business. So I understood that if you were going to get funded, you had to make a business case. It wasn't just going to be, hey, create awesome content and we'll give you money. You know, it was like, how are you going to generate money and how are you going to produce a return? So, you know, I understood this from having worked, you know, like I said, having had mentors who have invested in companies, having talked to literally every sort of you know, person under the sun on the podcast itself, many of who are investors, and I, I had an idea of what these people look for in terms of a pitch deck. Like I went in with a pitch deck and said, okay, this is what we project as our financial financials, these are our financials before, these are the ways that we envision making money, and these are the things that we will use the funding for, and this is our team. And, you know, I I literally, I treated it like I was going to apply at Y Combinator for funding from a VC, not, oh, you know, people are funding your personal art project. So not, you know, as much as I wish, they were like, here's some money to create awesome content. No, it's here's some money. How are you going to return it multiple times over?
0: Yeah. Has taking the investment from Pod Fund changed how you run the business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In good ways. And in a lot of good ways. One, it holds us accountable to a whole other standard. But the other thing, the big thing, the reason we took the funding was because it allows us to stop thinking short term. It allowed us to basically have a much more long term perspective and, and think through initiatives. Because, you know, I was just finished reading Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game. And you know when you're struggling to survive month to month, you know, you're like, oh, if we're gonna run out of cash, that makes it hard to have a long-term perspective and think strategically. So you just kind of do whatever you can to get cash in the door. You take any advertiser who will pay you money. And, and, you know, we, there were a lot of initiatives we couldn't pursue because we just didn't have the funding. So recently we hired a community manager, you know, cause we grew very organically almost entirely through word of mouth. And we thought, you know, it's time we activate this word of mouth component because if we do this right, we saw what, you know, the hustle and the skim and all those folks had done with their word of mouth component. And so, yeah, we, we basically, you know, hired a community manager as one of our listeners who's been amazing and we're building an entire network on mighty networks, like a private social network specifically for our listeners, uh, mainly because we want to get the hell off of Facebook because you know we want to be somewhere where we don't have to pay to play and people actually see our damn content.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. That's a whole, that's another whole
1: another episode
0: but yeah I mean I think Communities around your podcast is by far the most powerful kind of avenue people can take to yeah. continue that discussion.
1: Well, not only that, you know, one of the things that we want is we want to get to a point where we can generate subscription revenue from the community. Because if you think about it, right, even the biggest media companies in the world, like the New York Times, are, you know, looking at advertising and saying, okay, you know what, we don't want to be dependent on advertisers, you know, entirely. And, and the biggest issue with advertisers in general, when you look at it from like a New York Times or, you know, standpoint or even, you know, mainstream media, is that it's It's very hard to have like you can't have truly objective journalism when there's advertisement interest involved. And you know, for me, and this is something I've held to and you know, we paid for it in terms of metrics, is that I was I said, I will never compromise the editorial in order to hit the numbers.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that like your the the growth of your podcast and the success is is a reflection of that, right? You get you tell interesting stories, have compelling content and that that drives the success of the podcast, which then allows you to do interesting things with monetization and subscriptions and sell advertising spots, but not the other way around. Yeah, exactly. We took a small amount of investment earlier this year as well. And and I absolutely agree on the long-term thinking aspect of what you're talking about. And now we think in terms of years and not weeks or months, which is – Really nice, and I think we're making much better decisions for our customers and like the long term life of the business. So yeah. it's been it's been a positive thing for us. Very cool. Yeah. Without kind of giving away the secret sauce, what is kind of the general plan for
1: your show in terms of subscriptions and
0: and selling subscriptions?
1: You know, I think that the the thing with with subscriptions, right, is that so let's say that you you were selling subscriptions. I think there's this idea that you know you're gonna basically go and you know it's like oh I'm just gonna put a bunch of people in here and they're just gonna pay for, you know, whatever your goodwill is. Like one thing we realized was that community manager position was like, this is a job. Like somebody needs to do it and somebody needs to own it. It is a straight up like OKR it has to be because like, you know, I've seen how much work is going into it. There's no way that it can be like, oh, I'm, you know, the host of the podcast and I'll just do this thing like, you know, on the side of it. It doesn't work like that. Like, you will not succeed like that. I, I saw it, it, you know, like anything else, It it's strategic. It, it involves, you know, really thinking through and having a plan. The other thing is, is is you know, what is the value that you're providing to people inside of the community? Like, you know, so Tim Ferriss's, you know, no sponsors experiment was a failure, but then you go and look at what people got, you know, and, and I'm sure he probably made money off of it, but because he's Tim Ferris. But then you looked at it and you're like, okay, well, there's not a lot here that's, you know, really worth whatever he was, you know, asking for. So, anyways, yeah. That's, that's the gist of it. It's, you know, it's still in the works yeah. to be honest. So you know, part of it is like, we we're looking at the possibility of taking all of our online courses and moving them into that to the point where it's like, okay, you don't just get, you know, the, the community, but everything we create from this point forward as a course, you not only end up supporting the podcast, but then you also get all our courses too. Mm, interesting. Interesting.
0: Kind of generally from a, a content and kind of strategy perspective, looking forward with the funding and different monetization things you have kind of going on, what is the, what is the future for the unmistakable creative look like for the next year or two?
1: Well, I think right now it's, you know, increasing the size of the audience and hence, you know, increasing ad revenue, but alongside that also building this community aspect of it really kind of pushing. I think that, you know, we want to get our listeners to the point where, you know, they're, but I would like our listeners to be our most effective source of marketing, not advertising, you know, uh, know, in terms of growth, like, you know, because if they do their job, you know, and, and the thing is, it's not like, you know, we're like holding a gun to their head and saying Hey, You've got to spread the word, but they've they've always been our biggest advocates. You know, it's it's these people are the ones that really make things happen for us. And so we knew we're like, okay, if we start this program, it's going to take some time to build, but you know, if we do it right, it could be really valuable and have a pretty substantial payoff. And and so you know, I think that that's one of those things. And and you know, we like I said, we hired a community manager who was really working hard to to basically learn you know everything she needs to about how to properly build a community. And it's funny because she's like not even a social media person; she's a civil engineer so we've been that's you know one focus of it we're planning a conference that's coming that, that's in April of, of this coming year it's called the architects of reality and you can find out about it at the architects of we're bringing you know former podcasts together to speak at the event and inviting our listeners and then uh, you know another thing that we're doing is we're we're playing with a new format of the show which is more of an NPR style approach of you know instead of taking you know a person let's focus on an idea and we just released the very first one you know this week or last week is called the life changing magic of meeting people in person you know this one was kind of a shameless plug for the event but we also wanted to see it's like okay let us show you that we can do a hell of a lot more than do interviews and i remember the feedback from a couple of our friends was like wow this sounds like radio lab in this american life i'm like great that's That's a, you know, that's a great compliment, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's gutsy to change the format of a podcast with how many episodes? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're not going to abandon the interviews. We just wanted to introduce a new format because I think that, you know, we, we want, here's, you know, uh, 50 Cent and Robert Green wrote a book together called The 50th Law. And one of the things they talk about is the need to continually reinvent yourself. You know, you don't want to be a one trick pony. And to us, like yeah. we've always had other capabilities up our sleeves and we're like, okay, well, let's show people what we can do and show them we can do far more than, you know, an interview. Like we've got all these really interesting things we can do. And you know, the other thing is that, you know, for the person who doesn't want to listen to an interview, that opens up a whole other audience for us. Yep, I love
0: it. Last question. You mentioned the the tool that you're using to kind of base your your kind of internal private network or social media network on. Can you uh, share more about kind of how you made that decision? And you know, obviously the the why to get off Facebook is clear. But
1: no, no. So so we made that decision because of a podcast guest who told us it was Cal Newport who had talked about this sort of you know what he called long tail social media, and he wrote a lengthy blog post about it. But he did this thing where he, he just meant he dropped it, you know, and said, Hey, you know, like the neat thing about this is that it's so it's social media that allows you to meet people, you know, from your community in person because you can see who's nearby to you. And one of the things they encourage you is, Oh, you know, don't post here more than like twice a week, which is, is funny because it's like the polar opposite of Facebook, which is like, you know, create as much content as possible. It's funny because Ryan Holiday the other day was telling me, He's like, Yeah, he's like, you know, people wonder why they're not productive, but they're working for Twitter for free for six hours a day by tweeting constantly, yeah. you know, and then people do the same thing with Facebook. And so, you know, Cal told us about it, and we knew that if we had a community, if we were going to launch this ambassador program, we needed a tool, and it kind of fit the bill for all of them. It kind of was like, oh, we can launch the ambassador program have a community component and run this network in here. And so that's where we're at. And we just launched the ambassador program about a week ago or actually this week. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah.
0: We'll definitely link to that in the, in the show notes for this episode. Shrini for, for anybody who kind of wants to learn more about the ambassador program or what you guys are doing with
1: the show, where's the best place to, to connect? So you can go to unmistakablecreative.com. And then I think if I remember correctly for the ambassador program, it's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. <laughs>
0: hope you enjoyed that interview with Srini Rao from The Unmistakable Creative. I really like what Srini is doing with the brand and, and creating content for, for himself and for his brand. And as a result, it's clear that the audience size is growing and listeners are coming in droves. As a result, they're doing things like raising funding for their podcast to, to make their podcast into a real business which is, I think, a lot of the, the goals for a lot of us is to, to build uh, an asset and a tool for our business or make it a business in and of itself. And Srini has certainly given us kind of a roadmap of how to get from just starting, even though he started years ago now, uh, to, to building something that's really sustainable and a real asset to to his brand. So I think this is a really good example of, of what this can be for all of us. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed Be back again in the next episode with an update on some of our analytics, our listenership, as it's growing here in the first uh, handful of episodes. And then we'll be getting into our marketing plans for how we're going to be growing both organically and in a paid way uh, with the the audience podcast. Questions or comments for this episode are certainly welcome. Please go to castos.com slash podcast to leave a comment for this episode And if you haven't, please share this podcast with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. So new or existing podcasters who are looking to up their game and grow their audience, share the audience podcast with them. We would really appreciate it. And on kind of a personal note, Happy New Year to everyone. This episode will be going out on Thursday, January 2nd. So here, a fresh start to the new year. I hope everybody had a great holiday season and is rested and ready to go with their podcasts here in the new year. 2020 promises to be an extraordinary year, I think, for all of us. So uh, Happy New Year to everybody and happy podcasting. We'll see you next time.